Hello and welcome to Money Chill Out, the podcast to get inspired and feel good about your money. I'm Mike Afino, a woman in my 30s, ex-trader in the city of London, yoga teacher and owner of my financial empowerment business. On this podcast, I want to open up the discussion around money and investments and dive into personal finance management, which can be a great liberator, but also a huge stress factor in our lives. Every other week, I'll be joined by guests for conversations on money, mindsets, investment habits, and any best practices they abide by. So join me on this journey as we unpick the complexities of finance and get more comfortable talking about our money. You too can get financial peace of mind and it starts with empowerment and knowledge. Let's go. Hi, Helen, how are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, I'm great, thanks. I'm super happy to have you on this podcast, so thanks for your time. And yeah, it's uh, been such a long time I haven't interviewed a guest in I met in person, so it feels really, really good. You reached out basically to me, thanks of a previous Money Chill Out episode you liked a lot. And you said, without even knowing I was living there, but that you were coming to Lisbon a few weeks away for the web summit, and we actually met, and it was great. So yeah, that's cool. It was lovely to meet in person. <laughs> no, exactly. That was super fun. So a bit about you now. So you, in your late 20s, you did a few years as a fixed income portfolio manager in Ireland. And now you're in Paris, where you co-founded Savvy, which is a sustainable investment platform aimed at democratizing access to funds for retail investors. You definitely want to help people investing in sustainable ETFs. And that's what we're going to do today, a deep dive into the ETF space. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so, so before we move forward, can you describe what, what an ETF is? Yeah, absolutely. So an ETF is an exchange traded fund. Um, and essentially, it's a fund that is public on the stock market. What a fund is, is a collection of, let's say, between 100 and 200 underlying stocks and bonds, so companies, and they're all pooled together in one fund so that when you buy an ETF, you're buying a small part of all of those tiny companies, lots of small shares of them. And an ETF usually will track a different theme on the market. So it might be in, let's say, energy or pharma, for example, tech and different things like that. And it kind of tracks the market along with it. So I hope that's a simple enough description. I know that they can be quite confusing sometimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, especially because now there's 8,000 of them. So it's a lot. And there's like $9 trillion in asset under management. So why do you think they're so popular? Is it a question of fee, of maybe easiness to, to invest or understand? I think fees definitely has a lot to do with it. it. The simplicity of an ETF is that it's low fees. So if you're just getting started, it can be a good way. But I would say one of the biggest things is, like you said, the easiest to invest. It's very easy to invest in ETFs, but it's also a very diversified product. So in an ETF, like I said, there can be, you know, 100, 200, 250 underlying stocks and bonds in there. So if you're just getting started, it can be a really good thing to buy. Even if you only, you know, buy, let's say, invest in three ETFs, you could be diversified across a range of different whether it be asset classes or industries, geographies, et cetera. And that's a really kind of safer way to invest your money to be able to track the market overall and hopefully not fall into any pitfalls. 
Yeah, yeah. And they're part of the passive investment category, which is basically when you want to follow the market, but don't want to have better returns. So do you think it's kind of the best way to manage your money? I think for starting, definitely, I would say like, when money is actively managed, you need to be a little bit more on top of exactly how it's being managed and understand exactly how that's happening. I also would say, you know, when we look at passive investment categories, often over the long run, they end up performing better than the active investment categories. It obviously can depend, but then it gets a lot more into choosing the right active manager and and, and that kind of thing. So I think when you're starting, it's a great way to get into investing before you might start looking at riskier products, because with an actively managed category, you know, the risk can be higher, the reward can be higher, and but so can the loss in some ways. So, yeah, I think it's great as a start um, just to kind of dip your toe. Mm-hmm. And so it's really about like the diversifying aspect of it, plus the fact that it's low fee. Any other thing that new investor could benefit from? And actually, there are 200,000 new ones each year, which is pretty cool in France. So, yeah, how could they benefit from those yeah, so like some of the, the best ways to do it is if you're going to invest slowly over the period of a few months. So, for example, if someone said to us now, you know, that they're going to invest a few thousand euros all in one go, I'd say, well, maybe a better way to look at it is if you want to invest, you know, a little bit each month, not all in one go. And that way you can kind of avoid the volatility and be involved in these ETFs and start to track how it's performing. And you can see when, you know, where you put your money in each time and how it's performed and get a little bit more comfortable before, you know, it can be a pretty big step if you're going to invest all of what you've saved or a big portion of what you have. So avoiding volatility to an extent, it's not avoiding volatility, but it's more so just doing smart little things like that, like putting it in over the period of a few months that can kind of avoid the the scariness that might come with it. And in that case, it can be really beneficial over the long run. And as you said, there's, you know, 200,000 new retail investors every year now in France, and that's only growing. So it's becoming more and more popular. So it's more about giving people options so that they can see what exactly it is that they want to do. Some of those people will want to, you know, go out directly and trade and buy stocks and in individual companies, but some people might be more comfortable just looking at ETFs and saying that's maybe a better product for them to start with. Mm-hmm. And the concept you were talking about with not putting everything in one go, but like going it through a few months is basically called the dollar cost averaging. And I think it's a great way as well to, as you said, smooth the volatility. So, yeah. So ETFs, really, it's an investment support and it doesn't really mean anything as such because it really depends on the what underlying the tracking and it can be different asset classes. It can be different geography. It can be all sorts of diversified or really like niche markets. And on top, the names don't always do them justice. So it's really complex to to realize what they track and what it means. And as an investor, if you really want to understand like how you invest and, and in what exactly products, you often need to go into the fact sheets to really understand the strategy and the main outstanding. So that's why you created Savvy because you really want to help investors with the ETF selection. That's correct. Yeah, absolutely. And like, as you said, a lot of it is transparency. And in fact, when you go onto that fact sheet, you're only going to be able to see in many cases, the top 10 holdings that are in that ETF. 
and and that's not because they're trying to hide. It's just because you know it change it can change all the time. They're constantly rebalancing. But what we're looking at doing is taking you know the whole universe of ETS that exists and really doing a filtering process of it. So we look at sustainability criteria. So for example, we can you know filter down by SFDR, which is European regulation. There's three different types of funds. There's Article Six, which are kind of normal brown funds, I call them. Article Seven, which is the light green and and or sorry, Article Eight and Article Nine, which is the dark green. There is no Article Seven. We're not sure what happened there. And so we're looking at only having Article 9 funds on the platform. And that really helps with reducing down that large universe of funds um, and looking only at the greenest of what is there. But one of the, you know, really important things is, yes, you're helping filter down. But then once we do that filtering, to be really transparent about it, because ETFs, while they are great, there's, you know, a, a lot of greenwashing. And a lot of greenwashing in general in terms of everything we're trying to do sustainably. So people now really you know, deserve the transparency around what they're in so they can see, like, you know, this might be the best of what's out there, but at least I know exactly what's in it and how it's going to improve. And, you know, maybe I can see actually I don't want to be in this one or just getting comfort around where the money is. So transparency is really important for us. And and we have a partnership with Data, a company who can look at all of the funds so that the users will be able to see exactly what's in them and all of the kind of impact. You know, you can track the carbon you know, emissions avoided of your investment relative to a normal one or the energy efficiency, for example, the biodiversity impact and things like that are really important for people to be able to see exactly where the money is invested and all of, you know, how the underlying companies in each fund are performing from a sustainability standpoint. And we think that's really important to be, you know, transparent and explain why it is the case so that people understand why maybe within these ETFs, it's not just you know, maybe solar farms, for example, you know, there are things in there that you need to wrap your head around. So that's that's what we're trying to do with Savvy. Mm-hmm. And I think it's um, the, the fact that you show the impact or the effect of the portfolio with all the criteria and the sustainability factors. I think it's really efficient and motivating in a way, because sometimes you don't really realize what you do and the in the impact of it. So having these two linked together, I think it's very powerful. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things that we really want to do is, you know, I talk about this a lot, but it's kind of hard sometimes as an individual to feel like you're having an impact on sustainability. And that'll be the same with your money. You know, if you're only putting a few hundred euro into investments, you can feel that the impact is quite small. So what we're trying to do is, you know, not only will the users be able to see your individual impact based on your investments, but we can also see the collective impact that we as a savvy community are having. And that'll help, you know, so you can see how your small individual steps are going to create greater change and really remind us that actually what we do as individuals is mattering in you know the whole sustainable transition and money is a part of that. Mm-mm. Yeah, and, and the community feeling, is, I think, is really important too because it helps, yeah, being part of something like bigger and, and yeah, really wanting to help. So yeah, it's, it's super clear on that. As you said a bit earlier, so you discovered there's actually a lot of greenwashing. And even though some EDFs have sustainability factors in them, actually, mm, you wonder why. (laughs) So Morgan Stanley, for example, reviewed 130 climate-themed funds and found out that 55% of them had negative Paris alignment scores, which I find absolutely untrue. So can you tell us a bit more? Yeah, I mean, that just comes down to, again, the greenwashing. It's astounding. If you think about it, you know, 
sustainable investing is kind of the hot new thing and it, asset managers want to get on that you know young people really want to kind of put their money where their mouth is and invest sustainably and so they're asking asset managers and they're asking their bank and, and whoever it is who may help them invest you know the demand is there for sustainable funds so all of a sudden you had asset managers around the world rushing to kind of slap sustainability labels sometimes on funds they already had sometimes tweaking them slightly sometimes not at all and there's no standardization in many ways so you're getting a lot of backlash on that in in many parts of the world particularly in the US at the moment and i think it's just a reminder of how you know it is annoying in some ways that we can sometimes feel like there are you know labels coming out of our ears and there's no standardization but it's important to kind of do the work to see exactly what are in these funds and to do the best that we can to filter them down. And so, you know, European regulation is really helping with that and increased data. The more data we have, the more, you know, our data partners can see exactly what's in the funds and, and track all of the sustainability metrics from each underlying company. You know, if you take that there's, let's say, 150 companies that are included in a particular ETF, the more they have an obligation to disclose their sustainability data, the more we can have a better rating on that ETF. So it's really kind of coming to a head at the moment. You have a lot of funds where it's becoming very clear they've been greenwashed and there are you know people doing really great work to uncover that. So part of, I think, what's happening at the moment is more so there's a bit of a consolidation around the ratings so that we can really have, you know, more standardized and clear ratings of funds as well as, you know, individual equities and, and fixed income. And that is going to help in the long run. I think it's just kind of, it's an unfortunate and probably was always going to happen bump in the road when it came to, you know, there's a green boom, everybody all, all of a sudden has to have something climate related. So unfortunately, there are just people jumping on that without uh, too much afterthought. Mm -hmm. And I think there's two really important or interesting points. As you said, there's differences in the US, in Europe, so and even in Europe, within Europe, there's lots of different data. And so how do you want to make sure that everybody understands them? And also, I like the fact that you are still optimistic on some points, because we tend to to really focus and to really remember like the greenwashing and the negative sides of it. But yeah, you still have people or organizations that are doing well and that's good to know they do exist and, and they do an amazing job. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's important to remain optimistic with it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So in your selection process, how do you do then? How do you review and select the fund? Yeah, so then I would say... Some of the first things we start on are the filtering down. So you take the kind of universe of funds that are down there or that are out there in Europe. And we, like I said, look at the article six, eight and nine. And straight away, we only look at article nine. And thankfully, you know, as the regulation has advanced, that's becoming a little bit more strict, particularly from January. So a lot of asset managers are kind of getting their house in order when it comes to the classification of their ETFs. Um, as a result, is an increasing kind of, I would say, quality around what is Article 9 or not. So that helps immediately with reducing that down. Then it's important to look at things such as liquidity to make sure that, you know, the ETFs that we propose on the platform are also very liquid, that people will be able to buy and sell them if needs be. And, you know, that's also part of, you know, it's all well and good to talk about sustainability, but there needs to be, you know, a financial 
element to it as well. And so making sure that the fund itself isn't too niche, that it's quite liquid. And that's quite important for us when offering these, you know, it's people starting to invest. You need to make sure that it's very liquid. Data, you know, our partner really helps with the sustainability data of the funds that we look at. And that's how we do the alignment with the sustainable development goals. So the framework that we're using, you know, at the moment is the sustainable development goals so that the users can see the 17 goals that the UN have set out to achieve by 2030. You know, there's four trillion, over four trillion dollars in financing lacking for the sustainable development goals every single year. So there's a huge gap to fill there and understanding, you know, where those gaps are in the sustainable development goals, as well as what goals people care about most to then see in those funds, you know, which of the funds out there are aligned to the sustainable development goals or aligned to specific goals. So there are goals, for example, that don't have funds that are specifically aligned with them. And in that case, we just don't offer one. Um, So it's more about just looking at what is there using the existing frameworks and regulations that are out there. I would say there's already a lot of really good labeling and there are some great frameworks already out there. So it's just using them and implementing them to help us filter down and select the funds. Mm -hmm. I see. With the UN Sustainable Development Goals, then you ask your clients, choose the one that took to you most, then you make sure that they have a diversified portfolio. How does it work? So if you select, we select, we ask that the users select a few of the goals that they particularly like. So for example, if you were to select five, you might be in a fund that is, you know, focused on pharma because it's the goal for good health and well-being, an energy fund where it's focused on the energy transition, or, you know, whether it be water, for example, life on land, et cetera. So actually you end up with a very diversified mix of ETFs that are across several different industries. And that has, you know, help in terms of diversifying across industries. But then, of course, the ETFs themselves are very diversified because they'll have, you know, around 100 different underlying shares. And so not only will each individual ETF be quite diversified within its given category, making sure that the users are invested across several really makes that sure that it's it's incredibly well diversified. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. And uh, you're so super keen to educate as there's a huge information gap. And again, thanks to your data, you found out that there's 20% of French people surveyed by the AMF that consider themselves to have sufficient financial background. So what actions do you plan to take to bridge that gap? Yeah, it's actually particularly important in France. Interestingly enough, the French in Europe um, are the nation that keeps you know their money the most in bank accounts rather than investing it. So there's a big job to do there in terms of making investing maybe more accessible and probably more common. You know, if it's not something you're used to seeing or hearing around you, it can be it can feel like a bigger step. So you know we're really focused on everything being simple. I would say even when we're building out ourselves and we start to complicate things, we have to step back and say, okay, we're really excited about this, but no, it's not simple. And simple is really what we're trying to do. And that, you know, is everything from language to the way that they can use the app to the way that they can read their investments once they've already happened. We do a lot of blog posts at the moment. So on our website, just about topics that interest us even so that people can understand, you know, why it is important to invest in these different things and and how that is. And I would say that's really important for us to build up the community around education, particularly before 
savvy as live because we're not actually yet live for investing. And then the last thing is, and very, we're very excited, but we have our first webinar next week, which will be hosted by you. <laughs> and that's been great for us. It's important for our community to learn how to start investing. And I know when we met in Lisbon, it just became evident, like I couldn't think of a better person to kind of talk them through the process and why it's important to take your money in your own hands and, and be active with it. So the, the webinar with you is the most exciting one at the moment. So nice. I'm so excited too. <laughs> so cool. So you said you didn't launch Savvy yet. I mean, it's it's ongoing. It's still a startup phase. So where can our listeners follow you? So yeah, you can find us on our Instagram at Savvy.invest on our TikTok at Savvy Invest. The TikTok is in French for the moment. Our website is www.savvyinvest.fr and we're on LinkedIn at Savvy. But I will say our app is live, just you won't be able to invest. So people can go onto our website, download our app, learn about the sustainable development goals, and you'll be able to simulate, you know, if I invested now, how much money could I make in five, 10, 15 years? relative to past market performance and what are the sustainability, you know, impact that I could have all as well relative to past performance. So I would encourage you, you know, to go and, and play around with the app that we have to see the impact that you could have. Mm -hmm. That's super nice because again, it's more like that information gap and how to get empowered before even starting. So yeah, I like that. Mm. Absolutely. Cool. And um, last question for you. <laughs> I um, Have you watched Emily in Paris? Because I know you're a friend, you're in Paris. <laughs> I have watched it. And, you know, it's not that dissimilar in real life. <laughs> I would say it's funny how I'm, I remember watching it before I lived in Paris. It came out during COVID before I'd moved to Paris. And I was like, oh, it's such a caricature. And then when I moved here and I live, you know, I actually live in a Chambre de Bonne on the very top floor with no lift, just like Emily, but I have a lovely view. And so in many ways, it is quite similar. I would say the French are a little bit more hardworking than they're made out to be um, <laughs> on the show and also a lot more more welcoming and kind. But um, no, it is a complete dream. You know, I'm 26. I moved here when I was 20, when I just turned 25. It's um incredible to have moved here and now to be staying and, and living here and and building my business here so you know it's great uh jeremy and, and i and that, that's my business partner the co-founder of savvy we both are delighted to be staying and, and living in paris so it's very exciting super cool love to hear that <laughs> So thank you so much, Ellen, for the discussion. As usual, I really enjoyed it. I learned a lot and I really like all the stats that you were able to give to really realize how much power we have with our money and how much we can do as an individual. Yeah, so thanks so much for sharing, for yeah, giving knowledge and empowering our audience. Thank you for having me. Hopefully we'll have a lot of future sustainable investors and the listeners. Yeah. I'm sure. Have a great one. Thank you so much. Thank you. So at the end of this episode, I hope you're as enthusiastic as I am. You can find the notes and the key takeaways on my website at maricafino.com. And if you like this podcast, please subscribe and spread the word. Thank you.